Hi there, Five Things listeners. Before we get into this episode, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do, go to choice.crd.co. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Hey there, Five Things listener. We talk a lot in the show about the social platforms we use, but very rarely do we talk about who we follow, and we all follow people online. But did you ever wonder who those people follow? Every week on the Follow Friday podcast, you'll find out. It's a guide to the best people on the internet, including past guests like Song Exploder's Harisha Kesh-Hirway, YouTube star Tom Scott, and New York Times writer Kara Swisher. A lot of the folks that host Eric Johnson has interviewed are people I follow. So search for Follow Friday in your podcast app now or go to followfridaypodcast.com. Hello, welcome to The Five Things. It's This Week in Social. Each week, we cook up the best stories from social and digital media and serve them directly into your ears so that you can either look smart to your boss, to your kids, or that know-it-all next door. And we won't tell them that you heard it on a podcast. We're back after a few weeks of special episodes with the latest and greatest. Today, we have Tommy Boyce and Julie Bentley. This is the first time Julie and I have been on the show together. Hi, Julie. Hi, Joey. How's it going? Does this summer have a theme for you? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. I feel like expression and creativity is a huge theme for me. And I think for a lot of people, as we kind of come back from, well, not fully back from COVID, but as a lot of us enjoy the good weather after a really rough COVID winter and all those things, just getting out kind of enjoying the warm weather and exploring yourself a little bit. I love that. And Tommy Boyce is back after doing an amazing job on the Pride episode last week. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. Thanks so much. What has been the highlight of Pride Month for you? That's a great question. I would say it's seeing, it's been seeing theater about queer identity. I saw Strange Loop back earlier this month is just one of the most radical, extraordinary things I've seen in a long time. Run to it if you've not seen it. I've seen a lot of like little fringe shows by a group called Fake Friends. I saw a reading of an episode of The Real Housewives of New Jersey last weekend, which was such a thrill. Just seeing queer expression on the live stage. Yes, wonderful. I saw Strange Loop as well. It is fabulous. I'm Joey Scarillo. I love summer because my birthday is in the summer, which meant I never had a class party for my birthday, but I was never sad about it because it's summer. Okay, here are the five things. First up, Tommy explains the TikTok tapes. Then Julie will get into Elon Musk's outline for the final steps to finish the much-talked-about Twitter deal. Tommy explains a new subscription service that Snapchat is developing called Snapchat Plus, which is said to offer exclusive new features. Julie breaks down Instagram's testing of full-screen video viewing. And finally, Tommy tells us about Meta launching new creator monetization initiatives, including more reels, payments, and NFTs. All right, Tommy, kick things off with the TikTok tapes. Yeah, very dramatic. I think we're going to see probably a Netflix original series about TikTok in the future, given our obsession with true crime and things like that. So this past Friday, TikTok announced that it started routing American users' data to US servers owned by Oracle. And just hours later, a report from BuzzFeed News claims that TikTok employees in China had repeatedly accessed 
U.S. users' data based on over 80 hours of leaked calls it dubbed the TikTok tapes. According to the report, engineers in China had access to U.S. user data between September 2021 and January 2022. BuzzFeed claims that a member of TikTok's Trust and Safety Department said everything is seen in China in a September 2021 meeting and that U.S. employees had to turn to their colleagues in China to determine how U.S. user data was flowing. This information comes after years of TikTok responding to data privacy concerns by promising that information gathered about users in the U.S. is stored in the U.S. rather than China, where ByteDance, the video platform's parent company, is located. Now, this is what we call in the advertising business a bad look. This new information likely won't help foster a positive relationship between the platform and U.S. regulators, which have already had an antagonistic relationship with the platform, even after you know Trump's attempted executive order to ban the app was dissolved by President Joe Biden. Moving servers to the U.S. is a logical step towards separating the U.S. TikTok branch from its Chinese counterpart, but it won't probably change the fact that TikTok is still seen largely in the eyes of the U.S. government as a foray from China into America's big tech sector. I will say, though, I don't know how much of an impact this will have on user behavior, perhaps. Personally speaking, I saw the story. I oddly went, oh, no, and then went back to scrolling throughout the entire day, as I want to do. But I do think this will certainly lead to legislative action against the platform by the government, which brands and marketers should certainly keep an eye on because it will certainly change how user data is able to be interacted with and accessed moving forward in the future. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. I guess the one thing that I'm curious about, Julie, is do you think that this leads to any change of course for brands? Anything that you would advise differently? That is a great question, Joey. For now, I would say no until user behavior changes, until legislation is passed. I would say hold your horses on making any major changes. That said, I would say it's wise to keep an eye on this because we know that high level TikTok has had some issues and some negative PR. So definitely keep in mind how TikTok is affecting its audiences. Yes, I'm sure this is going to be an evolving story and we will definitely keep a close eye on it and let you all know as things progress. All right, let's switch over to the quote unquote Elon Musk of it all. Julie, talk to us about his final steps in this Twitter deal. What's what's the latest there? So that title might be a little bit misleading. Final steps for this Twitter handoff are actually pretty significant. So first of all, we have fake profiles, something that definitely trended recently. Elon is saying that more than 5% of the profiles are fake. He seems like he needs confirmation from Twitter that it really is the 5% that they're saying. In, in an attempt to prove that Twitter has handed over this massive fire hose, quote unquote, of tweets to him. And, you know, it's been kind of radio silence ever since. So it seems like on his side, maybe they are doing the work of figuring out how to quantify what a fake profile is and how many there are based on this high volume of tweets. But Twitter is working towards, you know, trying to get the deal to go through on the agreed upon price. So they did hand over all of those tweets. The second item is debt financing. So of that $44 billion total, I believe, he has 34, 33.5 billion to hand over up front, being arguably the richest man in the world. There's 7.1 billion coming through in equity finance commitments from investors, but that does leave 3.4 billion, which is still not a small amount by any means that needs to come through in bank loans. And that is something that is still being worked on. Finally, they have shareholders who have to technically accept this deal. So kind of seeing two things. It is a formality 
that's, you know, they're kind of being counseled to agree to this, to hand it over to Elon Musk. However, some of them are suing him for attempting this deal. So the question of whether it actually is a very smooth and simple formality, we'll really just have to wait and see. The overall takeaway from this, again, is that Twitter is still working on the finer details and hammering things out in the meantime while those pieces fall into place. A lot to unpack there as well. You know, this story has been going on for quite some time. We actually said on this show that this deal might not actually go through. Tommy, you may remember that conversation. What does your gut say now? How do you feel about this deal? Oh, it's not going to happen. I, I fully really? do, I do not think it's going to happen at this point. There's no better way to say it than the Elon Musk of it all. And the fact that he is literally being countersued for, I believe originally it was for his attempting to take down the price of Twitter stock to get a better deal on it, as opposed to the $44 billion that originally it was valued at. It's all just so much. And he also the other day had a very odd Q&A with Twitter's 8,000 employees worldwide, a virtual Q&A. And it just all seems so amorphous and confusing that at this point, I don't think it will happen. I think it's in the best interest of everyone involved for this not to go through. I think at this point, I'm not sure if the changes that Elon Musk proposes to make to Twitter that are still kind of vague, despite being outlined and are constantly changing. The Q&A was very vague as well. And I don't know if this is in Musk's best interest either. Maybe he's figuring that out and prolonging this deal in order to write it off because of this. But I do not think at this moment that the deal is going to go through. Okay. So then let me ask you this question. If this deal doesn't go through, Julie, what do you think what was this all for, right? What are the ends? What are the means to the ends here? Honestly, not being quite as deep in some of this content as Tommy, my impression as a semi-layman when it comes to Twitter politics and Elon Musk, to be honest, it feels like this show of power, this very uncomfortable show of how simple it is for someone with that amount of wealth to take over a key communication platform. And I don't know much more than that. What it does show to the general public is that a lot of our culture and a lot of our communication revolves around these publicly traded companies that can be bought. Like a big flex. It's a big flex. It's a huge flex. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar flex. All right, let's jump over to Snapchat. Um, Tommy, tell us about Snapchat coming out with the new Snapchat Plus. So it looks like Snapchat is exploring a new potential monetization pathway through a new subscription service called Snapchat Plus, which would give users access to a new range of exclusive and experimental app features and tools. So in an example shared by app researcher Alessandra Paluzzi, Snapchat Plus would come out with variable payment tiers with a free one-week trial option as well, enabling users to test out what's offered through the service. So right now in this early iteration, the service includes access to exclusive Snapchat icons, a new profile badge to show that you're a Snapchat Plus user, new data insights, including the capacity to see your friend's location history over the last 24 hours, and info on who's rewatched your story, and the ability to pin a user in the app as your number one best friend, which makes you think of like MySpace. It's very cute. And that's sort of it so far. None of these are exactly mind-blowing additions. But again, this is early days and it could change a lot between now and its official release. It is just in testing right now. If it actually gets to the stage of being released as an alpha or beta. Snapchat did release a statement about the new service saying that, quote, we're doing early internal testing of Snapchat Plus, a new service for Snapchatters. We're excited about the potential to share exclusive, experimental, and pre-release features with our subscribers and learn more about how we can best serve our community. So we'll have to wait and see if the service ends up being adopted by users. I will say that 
you know, Snap is constantly pushing in terms of innovation. And it does see a lot of adoptions by users with its AR features, with the content that it creates. Remember the Ticketmaster sort of service and its concerts and everything. Its users are engaged. But if we're going to go off the other social media subscription service being Twitter Blue, that isn't doing so hot. Maybe this won't move past a second or third round of testing. But we'll see. I mean, I wonder if people will actually use it. I think they'll have to, unfortunately, make some more attractive features than seeing who viewed your story repeatedly or location history to really get users to be chomping at the bit to sign up for this subscription service. Does this sound more appealing than Twitter Blue to you? Like, Tommy, would you use this Snapchat Plus over a Twitter Blue? I don't think I would actually. I think also it's different landscapes. People who use it mostly are creators. You're getting a service or a product from them. Where Snapchat, it's your friends. It's the really intimate people that you're seeing every day that you have streaks with. I don't think right now that these features are priming you to have a better experience with your friends, which is what Snapchat is for. Again, it's the happiest social media app out there. It's the Disney World of social media platforms. So I think right now it isn't as attractive to me as a Twitter blue would be. Julie, what do you think of pinning someone as your number one BFF and would it be Tommy? <laughs> oh my God, of course it would be Tommy. Again, I think that there could be like a small benefit and I don't think it's a big enough benefit to, you know, pay for it. It, it, it could be a matter of convenience, but it's definitely not like a scalable tactic that helps with any type of like marketing efforts, things that would really motivate people and finance people to pay for a different plan, right? So I don't see it being a huge appealing kind of plan. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll definitely keep an eye out for Snapchat and what they're doing with Snapchat Plus. All right, let's switch over to thing number four, Instagram testing full screen video viewing. Julie, tell us all about it. Yeah, so this is definitely more of the same. Full screen video viewing, of course, in the TikTok 9x16 fashion of vertical video, always pushing that forward, always following in the footsteps of TikTok. This particular UI they are trying out is a little bit new, a little bit different from what they've previously tested, and they're testing it again with a limited number of people. It looks similar to TikTok and that it takes over your entire screen. And then the typical Instagram engagement buttons will be there on the bottom left as opposed to TikTok's right hand side. You have your like button, your send button, etc. And those are imposed over the video asset itself. The funny thing is that when this rolled out, Mark Zuckerberg actually published an Instagram story saying that photos are still an important part of Instagram and that they are working on making still photos compatible with this full screen feed that they're testing, which is kind of contradictory to what their team has actually released in official statements, which is that photos are not officially the priority of Instagram anymore, which is really clear given them following in the footsteps of TikTok. So ultimately, I say I would maybe not take Zuckerberg's words to heart. They seem a little, little bit shallow, like they're just trying to reassure the many, many people who are upset and irritated that Instagram is no longer photo first. Because this development, if they can land it, it seems like it would ultimately kind of hammer home the fact that photos are no longer the priority. They aren't even testing them with this 
rollout. So in my opinion, they are following in the footsteps of TikTok and photos are definitely not a priority, but it does remain to be seen when they will land on a UI that they like for this or that they find success for with this. And I think once that sends through, uh, it's possible that video will be king on Instagram even more than it was before. Tommy, do you think this is a good move for Instagram? Do you think this will move the needle at all? I don't know if this is a good move for Instagram. I don't think that it is actually. Because I think of the user experience and as Julia said earlier, people are getting upset that Instagram is moving away from what it was known as in favor of putting video first and let's be honest, becoming a TikTok clone and trying to get after TikTok when it would make more sense for them to exist in separate lanes. There is no need for Instagram to become a TikTok clone. We already have TikTok, which in Instagram, they serve different purposes. And I'm not sure who it benefits to make this leap. And I will say Reels have been successful. They were seeing more and more users and more and more time spent watching them. But it's at the cost of the long-term health and audience base that is already on the app. It is possibly moving away from it in favor of other platforms or even... I see people sharing now photos on TikTok and sort of dumps and montages the way that they normally would through an Instagram photo dump. So I think this may be this whole rush to take up this space and try and compete with TikTok in this avenue might have more more long-term consequences than benefits for the platform. Yeah, well, I think you're right. You know, I know for some people though, you know, it's so easy to just continuously scroll on Reels or TikTok that I guess they they figured why not make the videos even bigger. All right, let's stick with the meta universe that Mark Zuckerberg has launched for us. And let's talk about the new creator monetization initiatives, including more Reels, payments, and NFTs. All right, Tommy, take us home. So exactly. Meta is adding some new creative monetization options, including new metaverse and Web3 aligned options, as it looks to build a new platform for creative expression and engagement and ensure that it keeps its top stars hosting to its apps into the future. First off, Meta is testing a new creator marketplace on Instagram, where creators will be able to get discovered by brands for potential partnership opportunities. The new creator marketplace will enable creators to list their interests and the type of content that they want to create, which will then help brands find potential matches for their campaigns. Meta also has its brand collabs manager, which essentially facilitates the same, but this new process will be more Instagram specific, providing another avenue for IG creators to connect with opportunities. Meta is also expanding its Reels Play bonus program to more creators on Facebook, which will soon enable creators to cross-post their Instagram Reels to Facebook and monetize them within both apps. Meta launched its Reels Play bonus program in September of last year as part of a broader push to provide more incentive to top creators to continue posting their Reels in the app. And given that Reels is now the fastest growing content type on Meta, it makes sense to lean into this where it can, you know, in an effort to stop its top stars are drifting to TikTok and YouTube shorts instead. And as you said, there's NFT news and Meta's initial moves on digital collectibles are increasing. And after launching an initial NFT test display option on Instagram back in May, Meta is now expanding the test pool for the option while also planning to bring NFT display to Facebook as well, starting with a small group of US creators. So there's a lot to unpack in all these features and now luckily a lot more room for brands and marketers to play with some of the biggest social platforms we have at our fingertips. But I think at the end of the day, Again, this is Meta trying to build as effective and wide-ranging as a platform as possible for the next stage of the internet while giving their creators the most tools possible to succeed and make sure that creators will want to stay and keep using Meta platforms. All of this is very exciting stuff. Out of all these features that Tommy just laid out, which do you think will be the most beneficial to a creator? 
So in my opinion, Joey, I think the most convenient is the ability to monetize content across both Meta and Reels and the improvement of that capability. Facebook, now known as Meta, has been really good at creating these in-app native abilities to manage organic social media to run paid and has created an ecosystem between their two platforms that a lot of other social media tools are still rushing to keep up with, right? Like TikTok, for example, is nowhere near that level of sophistication when it comes to scheduling and managing content from a brand or creator perspective, right? The people who pump out content on a regular basis in a business type fashion. And they've always been really thorough when it comes to putting these tools together, even if they are a little late to the market, even if Hootsuite is technically beating them for you know a few months or a couple of years, they always end up coming through with really thorough suite of tools. So I do think that could be really handy. Yeah, that's great. This is obviously a good step. Anytime monetization is involved, it's always good for the creators. Any other final thoughts there, Tommy? Yeah, I just think that this is Meta trying to, like their actual name implies, make this next state and what the future of the internet to them will be. And given their combined power with Facebook, the platform and Instagram, I think they really have not just a stake in the game, but a real strength and visibility that other platforms don't have. So I think, you know, we talked about Instagram, maybe not being best suited for TikTok's lane. This is a lane that they're actually cultivating and creating themselves. So I'm excited to see what kind of new innovation and stuff comes from them trying to keep being forward thinking. Well, that's great. We talked about a lot today. There was a lot to unpack. It was nice to be doing this again. If you haven't yet checked out our Juneteenth conversation featuring uh, Kyla Sloan, Andre Gray, and Rihanna Johnson, please do that. As well as our Pride episode with Tommy Boyce, Graham Nolan, Asad Sheikh, and B. Ponky. We'll be taking a bit of a summer holiday. We will be out for the next two weeks and we'll be back in your feed in mid-July. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, complaints, or a thing that you want us to discuss. And you can email us at podcasts at gray.com. Again, I want to thank Tommy and Julie for joining us. And thanks to Danielle Hunt and Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios. And of course, Thank you, listener. We'll see you later this summer. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.